Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 16. And if you can, also Acts chapter 2, just stick a note or your finger in there. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16 and Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. As Kay was singing about the church, if you were not aware of it, now you know we're talking about the church today. The body of Christ, as we continue our series on what every Christian should know. There are some things that you need to know in life. If you're going to be a physician or a nurse, there are some things you need to know about medicine. If you're going to be an attorney, there are some things you need to know about the law. If you're going to be a plumber, there are some things you need to know about pipes and how they fit together and how everything works. If you're going to be an electrician, there are some things that you need to know. If you're going to be an educator, there are some things you need to know. If you're going to be a pastor, there are some things you need to know. If you're going to be a Christian, there are some things you need to know. And we've talked already, first of all, about are you a Christian for certain? And then we've talked about what every Christian should know about God, what every Christian should know about Jesus, what every Christian should know about the Holy Spirit, what every Christian should know about how to grow as a Christian, what every Christian should know about praying, and what every Christian should know about baptism today. What does every Christian need to know about the church? And I love the thought I just love the church. There's no, no way around it. I love the church. I love the church universal and I love the church local. I love the manifestations that I see of, of, of the church universal wherever I travel in the world. I love seeing manifestations of the church universal in our own community. My wife and I had grabbed a sandwich at Schlotsky's one night this week. I don't remember now what night it was. But as we were enjoying our meal there at Schlotsky's, there was a group of men seated behind us studying the Bible. I don't know if they were all from a church, and if so, what church, but we could hear them discussing the things of God and, and Scripture, and as best as my uh, ears could could hear, they were right spot on in everything they were saying, and, and I love the, the manifestation of the church universal where, wherever we see it. I love seeing what other churches in our community and around the world are doing in the name of Jesus. We're not alone. We're not the only ones. Praise God. We join arms together with other Bible-believing Christians, other Bible-believing churches, and serve the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about the church. This week I read, in fact, I think it was Friday, I read in um, Denison Forum that I subscribe to. It comes every morning. It's very fascinating. Where Jim Denison had written about a study just completed by Harvard University. I don't think anyone would accuse Harvard of bending over backwards to support evangelical Christianity. Uh, Harvard just completed a a study that investigate, <clears throat> investigated the physical and the mental health of children and teenagers who were raised with religious or spiritual practices. Interesting. So here's what they concluded, and this was published in Forbes magazine, and Denison picked it up from Forbes. So it's gone everywhere with Forbes. 
those who attended religious services at least once a week as children or teenagers were 18% more likely to report being happier in their 20s than those who never attended services. They were almost 30% more likely to do volunteer work, and they were 33% less likely to use drugs in their 20s. In addition, people who prayed and meditated individually on a daily basis had more life satisfaction, were better able to process emotions, and were more forgiving. They were less likely to have had sex outside of marriage at an early age and less likely to have had to have sexually transmitted diseases. Here's what Forbes concluded. Forbes is a very secular magazine, as you know. Some of the fundamental habits that humans have been doing for eons, like praying and meditating, might actually have a lot more value than we tend to think. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Forbes. Thank you, Harvard, for your study, uh, confirming what we could have told you. And yet it's good that they did the study because many would say, well, that's what we would expect you to say. But they probably did not expect to hear it from Harvard University or even Forbes magazine. I preach today from a background of having grown up in the church and loving the church. Um, as I grew up, a lot of the things we did as a family revolved around the church. And many of you had that same privilege. Some of you did not. Uh, I, I saw up close the good and the bad. My dad was a Baptist deacon. And when he thought I was asleep at night after he came home from deacon's meeting, I could hear some of the things that he shared with my mom so I knew the good and I, and I knew the bad, but I also knew that I was in a church full of people who loved Jesus and a church where people loved me and prayed for me and many of them continued to pray for me long, long after I left home, particularly when God called me to the ministry. There were many who prayed for me until the day they went home to be with Jesus and for that I am grateful. I remember my baptism. I remember my pastor, and I, I loved him very, very much. I love the church because the church is people. It's not building. It's people. Now, along the way, I've met a few hard-to-get-along-with rascals. But the vast, vast, vast majority are incredible people who have come from diverse backgrounds with awesome stories of God's grace in their lives. And I love you, you're the church, and I believe that you love me. And I've learned not to keep my eyes on fallible people who are all sinners like me, but to keep my eyes on Jesus who gave his life for his church. Now, I had in my life one brief period, relatively brief period of rebellion, when I thought I was smarter than God and anybody else and walked away from the church. But I am so grateful that God did not let go of me and drew me back to himself. And I vividly remember the journey home and am grateful to God. In the church, I learned about Jesus. I've met, I've met the greatest people in all the world. I've had the opportunity to 
begin by ministering with youth and what a great privilege that was. Two weeks ago, this last Friday, I'm, I'm in here at church on the day I was supposed to be off, but I was here for a little while and I was sharing some things with Karen Paget in her office and suddenly I sensed this presence behind me and it's Nicola Docupil who leads our, our weekday ministry and there's a man standing with Nicola, and Nicola says, this man has come to see you. I guess he must have come in down in daycare, and she brought him down. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, man, my day off. Okay, so I, I, I walked over, and I said, I'm Andy Davis. And he reached out and smiled and shook my hand, and he said, my name is Bob Henry. And Bob was one of my youth when I worked with youth. A man I'd not seen in over 40 years. That's why I didn't recognize him. And when he gave me his name, we fell into each other's arms and embraced and spent the next two or three hours visiting with one another, went out to lunch together, and what a joy it was to catch up with what Bob is doing. (coughs) He lives and works in Utah. He came to Dallas for a funeral of a friend and then decided he would drive to Belton to see if he could see me. He didn't call. He had no idea if I'd be in town. He just drove from Dallas to Belton, showed up at the church, and I just happened to be there. And I'm glad I was. The following Friday, I'm in my office visiting with my son. The phone rings. And it's another young man that I worked with in youth 40 years ago. He said, hello, this is Kevin Cherry. And I said, oh, my goodness, what is it about Fridays? <clears throat> and he said, I'm driving from Georgetown. I'll come right through Belton. Can I stop and pick you up for lunch? Another wonderful reunion. I, I, this last Friday, two days ago, the elders had a retreat and I have to confess, I was a little sorry I wasn't here at the church because I was kind of waiting to see who might show up. <laughs> but but I love the church. I met my wife in the church. And, and I want to tell you, if you're looking, it's the best place to look is, is in the church. We raised our kids in the church. We now have three of our grandchildren who are here with us, with our daughter and her husband. Our other children and grandchildren at First Baptist Salado today. I love the church. So today as I talk about the church, just know that I am speaking, preaching from a decidedly pro-church position. Pro-ecclesia. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. Called out ones is the literal meaning of the word. Called out ones. And that's the definition of the church. We are called out from the world by God to be His church. So I want to read from Matthew chapter 16, and I want you to stand with me, verses that you're familiar with, and then we're going to Acts chapter 2, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. Don't don't miss that. I will build my church, he said. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. So don't ever despair. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts 2, 41. Those who accepted his message, that is the message of Peter and his preaching on the day of Pentecost, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted to themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You may be seated. So I want to ask, been asking a series of questions in this series. So I'm going to ask a series of questions again today. And the first question is this. We've described, we've defined the church as called out ones, called out by God, separated from the world, called out by God, ecclesia. So question number one, what is the church universal? What is the church universal? The church universal is all believers in Christ for all of the ages in all places. All the believers in Christ for all of the ages in all places from the first century until today on every continent of the of the earth, people of every race, tribe, color, nationality, that is the church universal. Those who have said, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. Called out ones, the ones of whom Jesus said, I will build my church. He calls to himself people from every corner of the earth. The church universal is both invisible and visible. Now, how can that possibly be? Well, because we cannot see the spiritual condition of people's hearts, the church in its spiritual reality as the fellowship of all believers is invisible. Only God knows the heart. And Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 says, the Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who belong to Him. The universal church then is the church, the invisible church is the church as God sees it. But the church is also visible. It is what you and I see. The church as Christians on earth see it. Those who claim to know Christ and so that is what we see, that is the church visible. And so my job, uh, for my part rather, I see those 
who confess Christ and live like it, and that is the visible church. That is the visible church. And I'm not the judge, and I have no time to try and pretend to be the judge. I celebrate what I see. I celebrate what I see and what I hear and know in the end, Christ will separate the wheat from the chaff because he said he would do that. And so I rejoice in the manifestations of the church universal where I see people praising the Lord, serving the Lord, being faithful to the Lord, adhering to the word of God. We celebrate the church universal. Now, the second question is, what is the church local? Well, that's pretty easy, isn't it? The word church is used in the New Testament 114 times. 99 of those uses are referring to a local body of believers known as a church. 99 of the 114 uses are referring to a local body of believers. The church in a community, the church in a region, the church in a city, the local church. Believers who join together in any area to be a church like First Baptist Belton or other churches in our area or soon to be Renewal Church in our county. And we come together with a common belief and an adopted mission. And if you want to see pictures of the church local, then I want to refer you to three terms by which the church is identified in the New Testament, and that is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the family of God. We are identified by those three terms. So that is what is the church local. Third question, what makes a church a church? What makes a church a church, as you examine the scriptures carefully, a church is a church when there is a gathering together, a joining together of like-minded believers who practice well two identifiable major activities that the church is called to do in the New Testament. Now, churches may do many, 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 many things, and we're one of those churches that does many, 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 many things. But we can call ourselves a church only because we do these two things hopefully well. One of those is the preaching, teaching of God's Word and the worship that goes with the proclamation of the Word of God. That's one task that is easily identifiable that to be a church you must practice the correct preaching teaching and worship and then the second thing that we must do in order to be correctly identified as a church is the correct administration of the ordinances which we believe biblically to be baptism and the lord's supper baptism can be called the admission into the local church. The Lord's Supper can be called a way of showing our faithfulness to Christ. But to be called a church, you must practice those two things well. And then along with that, there are certain distinctives that ought to mark an entity, a gathering, an organization 
that can truly be called the church. And the distinctives are these, purity of belief based on the Scripture that leads to a purity of practice. Purity of belief based on the Scripture that leads to a purity of practice. And the second distinctive is there must be unity in the body, unity in the body, unity within the local church, and a willingness manifested from that unity to cooperate with those around us who also are churches, are true biblical churches. We cooperate with them in reaching people for the kingdom of God. As you study the church in Scripture, there are many things that we can do. There are many things that we do, but we can only be called a church because we correctly practice preaching, teaching, worship, and also the administration of the ordinances. And we can only call ourselves a church because there is within us a, a, a purity of belief that leads to purity of practice, and there is a unity in the body. Now let's ask a fourth question. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? I have preached a couple of times lately from Matthew chapter 28. And just want to let you know that I'll be there again next Sunday. So we all ought to really be familiar with Matthew 28 by the time we leave next week. But Matthew chapter 28 The words of Jesus, the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, gives us the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is to make disciples. Now, we may do a gazillion different things in order to make disciples, but our mission is to make disciples. Go therefore into all the world, make disciples of every nation, then baptize them, teach them, disciple them, all the other things. But the mission of the church is to make disciples. The church universal is lived out in the church local. And our responsibility in the church local, our mission is to make disciples, to reach people, to teach them, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission of the church. Simply stated, yes, I know, very simply stated, but that is the mission of the church. Question number five, what does the church do? What does the church do? Whatever the church does has to be in line with the mission of the church, which is to make disciples. So what is it that the church does? As we look through the scripture, as we reflect upon the meaning of the church, there are some things that we notice that the church does to keep its mission. One of those things is that we minister to God through worship. We are ministering to Him through worship, for the Scripture says in Ephesians 1.12 that we might be for the praise of His glory. That we might be for the praise of His glory. So the church is ministering to God through worship. A second thing that the church does is that we minister to each other. We minister to each other, the body of Christ. Listen to the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully 
mature in Christ. So we minister to one another with the goal of presenting everyone as fully mature in Christ Jesus. And listen to the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we minister to God in in worship. We minister to one another in acts of service. And then we minister to the world through evangelism and missions and discipleship as Matthew chapter 28 so clearly lays out for us. For us as a church, a few years ago, we adopted a mission statement that grabs hold of those things that we've just talked about and makes it ours. It is our mission statement. And it says, knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus Globally, that, that's our mission statement that is a reflection of what we find in scripture that is the responsibility of the local body of believers called the church. So we haven't said it together in a long time. Let's just say what I said a moment ago. Our mission statement is knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, Sharing Jesus globally. And sharing Jesus globally is in Africa, is in Europe, is in Asia, is in South America, is in North America, but it's also in Belton, for we're part of the globe. So serving Jesus globally. If there's any sense of the church being a place, if if there's any sense of that, it is the people gathered. The people gathered. And when we are gathered, like we are now... This becomes a place of, of grace. It is a place of learning. It's a place of worship. It's a place of the meeting of needs. It's a place of showing, sharing the good news. It's a place of preparing to go. Of preparing to get out of this room and to scatter to the places we live, the places we work, the places where we go to school, and to be the church in the community. Now, that leads to the sixth question. Why should a believer be a church member? Why should a believer be a church member? The words church member are not in the New Testament. But being part of the body of Christ is in the New Testament, and the word church is in the New Testament how many times? 114, thank you. The word church is is in the Scripture. And attached with many of the local body of believers that we read about in the Scriptures are names. Names of people who were part of those local bodies of believers. And so today, what would be the reason for membership? There is a trend in our society that is moving away from that that says that's not important 
We don't do that as a church. We meet, but we don't do membership. And if that's the church decision, I believe in the autonomy of the local church, then do what you feel led by God to do. Just be sure it's God leading you to do it. But here is why for us, I believe that we should be members, why membership is important for a local body of believers like ours. First of all, it's for our public identification with Christ and our public identification with other believers. Quite frankly, I am very proud to have my name on a membership role beside your name. Because I love you, and I know you, and I appreciate you. And if your name's on the list, put me on the list too. I'm glad to be there with you. Identifying publicly with Christ and with other believers. It's also important for unification that we come together around common beliefs and with the knowledge that we can do more together than we can do individually. And also, I believe church membership is important for encouragement because in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on or encourage one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing already in the first century, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day coming, the return of Christ coming. So for for encouragement, the encouragement we offer one another, and for obedience, for it says... In the text, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are already in the habit of doing. And I believe church membership is important also for service. I want to do my part to build the body of Christ. If I'm not tied on to any church, I'm just a floater. I can go here, there, wherever I want to go. I don't think that's biblical. I think we join together to build the body of Christ The church is a place where we exercise our spiritual giftedness. It's a place where we stand shoulder to shoulder. I love the fact that our ladies in the church have uh, groups called shoulder to shoulder where they study the Bible and, and they serve the Lord, they serve the church, serve the community. And I like the term shoulder to shoulder. We stand as a church shoulder to shoulder while we also understand that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We are what we are because of those who have gone before us, and we stand on their shoulders today, and we understand that there is something for all of us to do. Now, the last question that we're done, the last question, why should we love the church? Why should we love the church? I'm not presuming that everybody has the deep love for the church that I do, though I hope you do, but I know there may be some who don't. Why should we love the church? Did, did you read um, in, in the news, and primarily in Christian publications, it was fairly well ignored by the networks, the alphabet soup networks, that, that the Chinese government two weeks ago 
the Chinese government closed the largest underground church in China. 1,500 members in northern, the northern side of Beijing. And they, they, the underground church is not registered with the government, but don't think it means nobody knows it's there. They have a building. They have a name on the building. Everybody around knows this is a church. It's just not a registered church. It's underground. Now, some do meet in secret as part of the underground church. Some do not. It's pretty difficult to hide 1,500 people. And so the church is the Zion Church in Beijing. And they demanded, the government demanded the membership roles and that they be allowed as a government to to put in security cameras in their place of worship because they wanted to see who was there and what the church was doing. The church said no. And the government said, you're done. And the doors to the church have been closed. Now, the pastor said, they may think we're done, (laughs) but we're not. We will continue to grow in the face of all of this. It'll just look different. But what an incredible love for the church that in that setting, in that culture, would cause a people to say, we will do what God wants us to do, not what the government wants us to do. That's a deep love for God and a deep love for the church. Why should we love the church? First of all, we should love the church because Christ died for the church. We should love the church because Christ calls the church His bride. And I want to love the bride of Christ. I love the church universal. It's hard for me to get my arms around that. It's so big and so diverse and so spread out everywhere. Hard to get my arms around it. But I can understand the church local. And I can get my arms around that. And I love you. You are the church local known as First Baptist Belton. And I love the church. Let's bow together for prayer. In a moment, we'll stand. Brother Gary will lead us in a hymn of invitation. As we've talked about the church this morning, I understand, you understand also, that in a room with this many people, not everyone has trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. You're not yet part, not only of the church local, but not part of the church universal. You've not given your life to Christ. But you have been sensing the tug of the Holy Spirit at your heart. And you know it's time for you to give your life to Christ. And so in a moment when we stand and sing, I'm going to invite you to come from wherever you're seated. Place your hand in mine. And say, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's Word, to share with you. Will you come today and give your heart and life to the Savior? What's your relationship with the church, believer? Are you part? Are you active? Are you serving? Allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart about that this morning. And if the answer is, yes, I'm a part, yes, I'm active, yes, I'm serving, then praise the Lord and thank Him for His church and express your love for Him and for the church this morning. Father, 
Thank you for the church. I am so grateful. I have a million, million memories, a million blessings, the way people have touched my life and prayed for me and ministered to me and loved me. And Father, I love the church and I thank you for this church, even as I thank you also for the church universal. So today, Father, I pray that the Spirit will draw someone to Yourself through Your Son, Jesus, that someone might come to know the Lord today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.